0: Hello and welcome to A History of Hannibal, episode 71, Scipio in Spain. A word on the site of New Carthage. About halfway down the east coast of Spain, there is a bay, open to the southwest. It runs about two and a half miles inland, and in breadth is some 300 yards less. At the mouth of the inlet, a small island protects the anchorage from all winds except the southwest. From the head of the bay, a peninsula runs out, highland, on which the town was built. Thus the town has sea to the east and south of it, while on its western and part of its northern sides, it is surrounded by a lagoon, in which the depth of the water varies with the ebb and flow of the tide. It is connected with the mainland by a ridge about 250 yards wide. Fortification on this side would have involved little labour, But Scipio nonetheless had no earthwork constructed, perhaps out of ostentation, to show the enemy his confidence, perhaps to leave the way back unobstructed every time he had need to approach the walls. Livy, book 26, chapter 42. I thought this quote would be the best way to kickstart episode 71, as we left Scipio at the walls of New Carthage. That, and I would also like to begin with a correction of sorts, as I didn't check my footnotes when writing the end of last week. I said that Scipio and Lilius travelled from the Ebro to New Carthage in seven days, but as the footnotes of my translation make clear, Polybius writes that these two locations are 325 miles apart, which of course makes the seven-day travel time found in Livy a bit incredulous, to say the least. As much as historians don't like to admit it, an awful lot of the time the sources give information which completely disagrees, meaning that either one or both sources is talking nonsense. For instance, Caesar writes in his commentaries on the Gallic War that he conquered 400 tribes. Then Cassius Dio writes the tribe's varied size, with the largest having 200,000 fighting men and the smallest having 50,000. If we take an average then, the average tribe would have 125,000 fighting men. Now, to take into account women, children, and those in old age, we can multiply this figure by 4. This is a standard figure in demography, although some will argue you to the death that you should use 3.5 rather than 4, but we're just going to go with 4. So, this would give an average tribe size of 500,000. Now there were 400 tribes in Gaul, which, so it logically follows, means that when Caesar conquered Gaul, there was a population of 200 million people. 200 million people. Three times the population of modern France. Just a nice, happy reminder that we really don't know that much about anything. Now, back to New Carthage. Scipio prepared for the attack by stationing the fleet in the harbour, and the army right by the city, so that the townspeople would know they were surrounded on all sides. We have lost the beginnings of the attack, so the first thing we know to have happened was that Margo, the commander in the town, not one of the three Carthaginian generals in the peninsula, began to organise a defence, sending out some troops to combat the Romans. The Romans drew back so that they would be nearer their reserves, and could rapidly rotate troops, something which gave them a huge advantage and they successfully pushed the Carthaginians back. Scipio could see that now the walls were undefended, and so he launched an attack with ladders from both land and sea. The Romans launched the assaults, but there was enough time for the Carthaginians to reman the walls and to gather missiles. But the most useful factor in the defence of the city proved to be the walls. They were very high, and most of the Roman ladders were unable to reach the top and those that could were extremely unstable. The first attack did not go particularly well, but as soon as it was over, Scipio prepared for a second assault. Now, this one would be slightly different from the first, as Scipio wanted the focus to be on the lagoon. Scipio had heard from fishermen from Taraco, who had local knowledge of the area, particularly about the lagoon, I mentioned in the Livy Passage that the depth of the lagoon changed with the tides, and the fishermen informed Scipio that when the tide was out, the water was so shallow that their boats were useless, and they would simply wade across the lagoon. Word came that the tide was going out, aided by the wind, and the lagoon was shallow enough to walk across. I mentioned last time that Scipio was quite theatrical, and so he told his men that this was the gods themselves lowering the water so that they could pass. Listeners of my Alexander the Great series recall a similar incident which happened along the coast of Asia Minor. So, Scipio set out for the lagoon with a force of 500 troops to try and scale the walls. It was not a particularly difficult task as it turned out. The Carthaginians had thought the walls safe because of the lagoon, and the defences on that side of the town were not particularly strong. The 500-strong force had no real difficulty in crossing the lagoon, nor getting over the walls. Scipio forced his way to the gates at the same time as an attack from outside reached it, and the gates were hacked to pieces. By this point, the fight might as well have been over. Legionaries swarmed into the city and quickly took the town centre. The Carthaginians took shelter either on a hill which 500 townspeople had been sent to guard by Margo, while the others fled to the citadel, which was where Margo had based himself. The hill fell on the first assault, and Margo, seeing that his position in the citadel was untenable, surrendered. Scipio captured 10,000 free males, who were set free and allowed to continue to inhabit the town. 2,000 artisans were made state slaves of Rome, with the possibility of freedom if they helped enough with the war effort while non-citizen males were enlisted into the fleet. As for the Spanish hostages, they were treated as allies. Scipio also captured gold, military equipment, food, and other useful items. Scipio ordered Lilius and his marines to hold the town, while he returned to camp with his exhausted troops. The next day, Scipio congratulated his troops and sent for the Spanish hostages. He told them they had no need to fear... Rome preferred to bind allies to their cause through gratitude, not by fear. Scipio set to work dividing the hostages into their tribes, contacting said tribes, and returning the hostages as soon as possible. Once the hostages were dealt with, Scipio began to set up a few exercises for the men to keep morale high. With this having been done, Scipio set off back for Taraco, and word began to spread about just what had happened. At first, the Carthaginian commanders pretended that nothing had happened, but soon everyone on the peninsula knew what had happened. In public, the generals spoke about how it was merely a single Spanish town which had been caught off guard. It was really nothing to worry about. Once the three of them advanced together against Scipio, he would be reminded of the deaths of his family members. In private, though, they were fully aware of just how much the loss of New Carthage affected their war effort. Scipio spent the winter working on improving relations with the Spanish and returning captives, which brings us to 208 BC, I think I mentioned last time about the chronology being slightly confused. By this point, the Spanish were being drawn over to the Roman side. At the beginning of the year, Scipio was joined by Edesco, an important Spaniard. Hasdrubal was worried by this, fearing that these Spaniards joining Scipio was a sign of things to come, and that if Scipio were unchallenged for much longer, then they would face that much harder a battle. Scipio himself was eager to fight the Carthaginian armies before they could converge, so if Hasdrubal was going to offer battle, then you can bet Scipio was going to take it. Once the campaigning season got underway, Scipio began marching towards Hasdrubal's position. En route, he was joined by Indibilis and Mandonius, arguably the two most powerful Spanish chieftains. Indibilis spoke for the two of them, and apologised for abandoning the Carthaginians. This may seem odd at first, but it was a very elegant approach. Deserters were never popular. Those they deserted wanted revenge, and they were also viewed with suspicion by those they deserted too. They both felt that they had been mistreated by the Carthaginians, and no longer wished to be associated with them. They had no association through family or religion, and they felt they had no other choice but to desert, and so asked that they not be judged harshly for this. Scipio excused them for abandoning the Carthaginians, saying that as they had no connection, he could not call it desertion. Henceforth, they would be considered friends of Rome. Soon enough, the Romans were at Baecula, Hasdrubal's bath in south-central Spain, not far from the modern Hain. And there's no way I'm pronouncing that correctly, it's spelled J-A-E-N but this is where we shall leave things for this week. If you enjoy the show, remember to visit us online, thehistoryofpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast, twitter.com forward slash thehistoryofpod, youtube.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast, and historypodcasters.com. I'll see you in two weeks, when we see Scipio and Hasdrubal fight it out at the Battle of Baikula, in the next installment of The Surprising Adventures of Scipio Africanus.